You're listening to the OKC82 Podcast with Brady Trantham and Madison Morris. The best place for OKC Thunder basketball. A part of 1077 The Franchise Podcast Network. What's up everybody? Welcome to another edition of the OKC82 Podcast. Part of the Franchise Podcast Network. And guess what? We are actually sponsored by New Balance. The entire podcast network is sponsored by Darius Baisley's own New Balance. And hey, yes, I know what you're thinking. I'm already trying to work to get everybody's favorite rookie, not named Lou Dort, on this podcast. And it looks like it's going to be going in that direction, hopefully, maybe around trade deadline time or maybe around all-star break, we can get Darius on there. So look forward to that, OKC82 listeners. And really quick before we get into this podcast, and I'll explain what we're doing on this particular episode, I wanted to give a special shout out to all you guys. Uh, I just want to thank you all so, so much. Um, Doing these podcasts is both fun and at times it can be very grating and hard, just to say the least. Because yeah, I mean, we are just sitting here either in an arena, an empty arena, in an empty studio, Madison and me, Chisholm and me, you know, whoever we're doing this with. And we're just talking about the game that we just watched. How hard is it to talk about sports? And it isn't that hard, but like I said, it can kind of wear on you 82 of these a year. Uh, Sometimes we're not always in a position to be watching the game live. So like, especially for Madison, she has a second job. Um, But regardless of all that, you guys are really fantastic with listening and mentioning the podcast on Twitter um, asking us questions like I really really can't thank you enough and it I, I take it to the bottom of my heart Madison does as well she's very appreciative to all you guys thank you all so much um, I wish there was something that I can do I do have some thunder prizes that I want to give away and we'll probably do that around all-star break when there's a week for all of us to breathe a little bit um, but I've got some stuff some goodies that I'll try and figure out some way to put out like we did last year. Uh, shout out Ben Noble. You were the big winner last year with the Russell Westbrook and Rumble Bobblehead, which I, I don't know how that's aged. Ben, just let me know on Twitter. Um, I, I know Thunder fans still love Russell Westbrook, but anyway, I uh, just wanted to tell you guys thank you so much for listening to this podcast for the last almost two years now. I feel like it's been we've done over 200 episodes. I believe about a week ago we did our 200th episode, so... Um, thank you all so very much. I really appreciate it. Uh, but tonight, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just copy and paste the Locked on Thunder podcast that I did for this game. Um, if you were unaware, I've been running the Locked on Thunder podcast now for about the last month and a half or two. Um, feel free to subscribe to that as well because like I say on Locked on Thunder, I encourage those listeners to subscribe to this podcast as well because OKC82 is a post-game reaction show, whereas Locked on Thunder is a Monday through Friday 20 to 30 minute episode about different topics that aren't just a reaction to what we just saw. So there's going to be audio from practice from Billy Donovan and players, uh, pre-game from Billy Donovan and players, a lot of extra content, a little bit more in-depth, a little bit more dive into patterns, into numbers, matchups, and all that, as much as I can. And I usually do, on Wednesdays, on the Locked on Thunder podcast, I usually do a crossover segment where I sit down and talk to uh, other people that cover the Thunder. I've had Matty Lee from the Oklahoman. I've had Eric Horn. 
from the athletic had Barry Trammell on the week Russell Westbrook came back that could that timing couldn't have worked out any more perfect for obvious reasons but um, yeah just go ahead and give that a listen to if you want to add one more little quick thunder podcast to your podcast repertoire but um, yeah I'm going to go ahead and put out that podcast that I recorded following the Rockets game for this one simply because Madison was busy tonight she wasn't able to watch the game she was at work and then Ryan Chapman our new thunder coverage dude at the franchise uh, you can follow him on twitter at radios ryan uh, was d- doing some double duty again today uh, OU took on baylor he covers OU basketball for us at the franchise so he was unable to podcast basically everybody i'm just telling you that i'm lazy right now i don't want to re- re-record a podcast about the same subject and sit in my room and talk about it so <laughs> um so bear with me i'll try my best to take out all the obvious edits like i'm not going to put out any of the commercials that i have to do for locked on thunder i'll delete those but anything that may that sounds incorrect, like I I recorded this pod, I recorded that Locked On Thunder podcast Monday night, but it was going it's going to go out Tuesday morning, so I'm saying things like last night or yesterday or yesterday evening. So just bear with me and just listen to what I have to say, or don't, I won't stop you. But without further ado, let's dive right into the Thunder's miraculous 112 to 107 win over the Houston Rockets. The Thunder defeat the Houston Rockets 112 to 107 in a game they trailed by 16 in the fourth quarter, in a game where they scored 14 points in the third quarter, in a game where they surrendered a 15-2 run to end the first quarter, an 11-2 run in the midpoint of the second quarter to get down by double digits, in a game where the Thunder had to score 41 points in the fourth quarter and hold the Houston Rockets at bay. It was an incredible, incredible showing of, and I don't want to be corny or cliche because this is professional basketball. Everybody hustles their ass off. This is professional basketball. Everybody tries hard. But my goodness, this was a a complete and utter beautiful display of hustle, grit, and effort because that's exactly what the Thunder needed. They weren't going to win this game any other way. They were going to have to reach deep, deep down and find something within themselves to win this game on the road. Now, Houston has actually been kind of on a slide. They they now have lost four games in a row. James Harden has been shooting terribly, and he shot terribly today. 9 of 29 from the field, 1 of 17 from the three-point line, and... uh, just a real quick fast forward to the very end of this. Uh, James Harden did go onto the floor with his jersey on after the, well hours after the game to go have a little post-game shoot-around, much like Russell Westbrook did last year when he went 1 of 10 from the three-point line in a home loss to the Denver Nugget. I'll never forget doing the OKC82 podcast with Madison up in Section 103 uh, press in mid-press row. We're just sitting there podcasting, and then all of a sudden we see somebody in a Oklahoma City edition Thunder jersey, which th- those were the turquoise Native American heritage jerseys, just walks onto the floor with a basketball and just starts shooting. And we can kind of make out, I was like, is that Russ? Is that Russell? What is going on? I felt so surreal. But yeah, James Harden, one of 17 from the three-point line, finished with 29 points, though. Russell Westbrook, 32 points, 16 of 24 from the field, 0 for 1 from the three-point line. You like to see that if you're a Russell Westbrook fan. 11 rebounds and 12 assists. Yes, Russell Westbrook finally gets triple-double number 30 against the 30th team in the NBA. Never has triple-doubled against the Thunder for obvious reasons. 
had two chances prior to this game, didn't get it done, finally gets it done. Mr. Triple Double himself becomes the second player to ever do that feat, to ever accomplish that feat, the first one being LeBron James earlier this year against the Oklahoma City Thunder. But let's get right into the game for the Thunder from the Thunder's perspective. This was a game that, like I said, it was loud. So much happened. It, you can't just focus on the fourth quarter comeback. You can't just focus on the fact that the Thunder got down and how they got down. You can't just focus on Nerlens Noel was a late scratch. Terrence Ferguson is out for personal reasons. You can't just focus on Lou Dort gets his first start of his NBA career. You also have to mention that Steven Adams plays a minute and 36 seconds of this game and then a really unfortunate play happens where Steven's um, vying for position under the rim. Now, if you watch this game from the Houston uh, broadcast, you, you will hear them, you would have heard them said that Steven Adams undercuts Clint Capella. I've watched this replay a handful of times, and other than him just simply trying to fight for a position, I don't see the undercutting here. I, when players undercut, another an opponent you can tell and you know what's going on Steven is not doing anything dirty he's vying for position and it was an unfortunate play I mean, I'm not I'm not here to say Clint Capella did anything violent but it results in Clint Capella running his shoulder into almost Steven Adams's head but in so doing Clint Capella gets horizontal Steven Adams is below him on the ground and Clint Capella falls right on him and if, Kind of crushes what looks like a rib cage, his rib cage, and his wrist because he gets up, and then immediately kind of walks to the locker room, walks into the tunnel, and his wrist is shaking like he's kind of hobbling around. He he just he obviously didn't look a hundred percent. Now there was a foul called on that play on Clint Capella, and the officials went to go review to see if it was a flagrant or not. They ruled it a flagrant one. Stephen Adams is still in the locker room at this time. Now the NBA rule states that. If a player is unable to shoot free throws after a flagrant due to an injury because they're in the locker room or what have you, then they can't return to the game at all. So Steven had to jog back out onto the floor, shoot and miss both free throws, and then immediately ran back into the locker room. Billy Donovan called the timeout before this to stall, basically to have Steven Adams have time to either go get checked out really quick and then run out there or just to get the communication back to the locker room that, hey, we need him out here. We don't know if he's actually hurt. We don't know to what extent he is hurt, so we would like to err on the side of caution here because we may need him again. So he runs back on the floor, misses the free throws, runs back to the locker room, and then is never seen again. He was officially ruled out at the beginning of the second half from the Thunder. Uh, he was questionable to return up until that point and ultimately didn't return. So that's something to look forward to. But what did that mean? Because like I said, Nerlens Noel was a late scratch with an ankle injury to this game about 10 minutes before tip-off. So you got the Mike Muscala experience. Offensively, nothing to write home about at all. 0-4 from the field, 0-3 from the three-point line. Did hit a free throw, split two of them. Three rebounds, two blocks, five personal fouls. And it seemed like every single one... <clears throat> was an and-one opportunity for James Harden. Just not a good showing for Mike Muscala. Um, unfortunate for him that he's kind of thrust into more of a starter-type role. Pl ended up playing only 25 minutes. The Thunder had to go with Deontay Burton at center some. They put Lou Dort at center some. Danilo Gallinari got some burn at, at center. I mean, just pretty much anybody that was either big and imposing or tall played center and you can kind of get away with that against Houston because they do like to run PJ Tucker as a small ball five they they like to run the small ball five so 
almost any other team, the Thunder would have been royally screwed in this game. But still, the Rockets took advantage of it. No Stephen Adams in the paint to defend. Go right to the rim. That's what James Harden did. That's what Russell Westbrook did. And for a time, it worked. The entire first half was just basically Chris Paul doing everything that he could in order to keep the Thunder afloat. And this is this even makes the comeback even more impo- incredible, and we'll get to that in a minute. But just remember for, for now, Chris Paul entered the locker room at halftime with 27 points on 9 of, tw- nine of 11 shooting. He had a four-point play, got to the free throw line. He finishes with eight rebounds and three assists. Remember, 9 of 11 in the field, 27 points. He finished the game 9 of 18 with 28 points. He scored one more point in the entire second half. And that big thunder comeback in the fourth quarter, and we'll get to we'll get to it in a second, but because I'm on Chris Paul, that, that big comeback, Chris Paul was on the bench for the vast majority of it. He didn't come back into the game until about a minute 32 left. And a lot of what he was doing is just mainly orchestrating on the on the floor and letting Shea Gills Alexander and Dennis Schroeder, the guys with the hot hands, take the thunder home. So in another clutch situation, with the NBA's leading clutch scorer, scorer in Chris Paul, the Thunder didn't need him at all. He just needed one point in the second half, and that was more than enough for the Thunder. So just an incredible effort. But going back to the first half, before we go to our next break, I do want to highlight Lou Dort in his first start as an NBA player. Eric Korn from The Athletic said it perfectly, said it simply. Lou Dort is earning himself a contract. He said that late in the game, and I couldn't agree with Eric uh, more. Now you look at the numbers, 3 of 10 from the field, not good. 1 of 4 from the three-point line, even worse. Two rebounds, two assists, two turnovers, five fouls, eight points overall. You look at that and you you just go, ah, well, I mean, not very good at all. Uh, of course, the 10 shot attempts, a little concerning, especially when you can see that Shea Gilles Alexander also had 10 field goal attempts. Lou Dort shot more threes than Shea and shot as many shots from the floor as Shea. And that is something you don't want to see ever again. And some of that is on Shea Gillis-Alexander for not being aggressive enough earlier in the in the game. Some of that is just on the Thunder were just so shorthanded this evening. They were so shorthanded yesterday that some guys probably had to take more shots than probably they're even more comfortable with. Just an uneven ball distribution or what have you. But really, the reason why Lou Dort is playing his way into more of a of a of a situation where fans and maybe even some of us in the media will start asking the question of does Lou Dort deserve more playing time is because of his defense. Now, Lou was not on James Harden the entire game. But I tracked in the first quarter and the beginning of the second quarter Lou Dort was James Harden's primary defender on 6 of James's first 9 shots. You know, the Rockets would typically try to switch James off of Lou Dort, not because they were trying to avoid Lou Dort, but because of just trying to find better matchups for them. Uh, but on six of those first nine attempts, Lou Dort was the primary defender on James Harden, and Lou Dort forced James to miss all six of those shots, and they were bad misses. Lou forced him into bad situations, bad pull-up spot jumpers, bad fadeaway threes. Now, James can hit those shots, but coming into tonight... I saw in the Houston broadcast, James Harden was shooting minus or below 30% at home from the three-point line. So this is this is something that's been a pattern for James. And either Lou Dort understood that or Lou Dort just simply tried his damnedest and it just happened to work for him. But 
the physicality, the speed is all there for Lou. He can, he's a versatile defender in that he's kind of like Deontay Burton, that he's a tweener. His athleticism and his speed and his physicality, you can put him up against any type of guard in the NBA and from a physical standpoint, be happy with it. And you can even throw him onto a wing and maybe even a power forward down low and kind of be happy with it too from a physical standpoint as well. Now, uh, veteran guards, wings, and power forwards, they, they, they're savvy, they're crafty, they're going to be able to put Lou Dort into a bad situation. But for this, for yesterday, Lou Dort passed, I got to say, with flying colors considering all factors against one of the toughest guards in the world in James Harden. So uh, good game for Lou Dort, good showing for him, and it kind of really goes to show the development of the Oklahoma City Thunder, the depth of this team, that they can even go to guys like Lou Dort, Hamnu Diallo, Darius Baisley a handful of times this year in, into a starting role because of injury or because of whatever else has forced a particular starter out, out of a game. And the Thunder really don't miss a beat. It might take them a, a quarter or a half to get things situated, but the the coaching of this franchise, and that goes from Billy Donovan with the Thunder to Grant Gibbs with the Oklahoma City Blue, Coaching is getting a gold star this year. The second half begins. The Thunder scored 13 points for the first seven minutes. They ended up scoring 14, so not that much better after that point. I don't know why I pointed that out, but I just remember writing it down in my notes. Just bad, 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 bad. Shea Gillis-Alexander was not aggressive at all. It's highlighted by his only his 10 field goal attempts. Danilo Gallinari led the Thunder in field goal attempts with 19. And this was a game where Danil Gallinari like, is obviously happy that the Thunder won. But if you look at it from an individual standpoint, no, after talking to Danil Gallinari for the last few months and getting to know him and how he likes to play basketball and how he will view his own film, this is a game that he probably didn't like to watch from an individual standpoint because he had to go ISO a ton. He does not like to play isolation basketball. He's a team basketball guy. He likes ball movement. He likes moving off of screens. He likes moving without the basketball and being put into better situations by Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, Shea Gilles Alexander, whoever is facilitating at the time so that his shots are of, of a more high efficiency. So it's easy to sit here and say, well, Danilo Gallinari is probably one of the best players on this team in terms of a half-court offensive player he needs to be getting the ball a lot now if you can just somehow get him 19 plus shots out of a good offensive set then yes that's what that's what you want but when of his 19 field goal attempts seven of them nine of them are from isolation plays and look he hit four of them he, he's really good it's not an ideal situation it kind of played into just the Thunder's offense being really really one-sided and really really only helped out in the first half by Chris Paul hitting a bunch of shots and dropping 27 points in the first half by Danilo Gallinari hitting some timely shots. And then Dennis Schroeder's really his no show in the first half. And it wasn't because of a lack of effort or anything. He was just being shut down and the Thunder's offense as a whole was being shut down outside of Chris Paul. But the second half is where Dennis Schroeder got started in the second half is where the Thunder got started as well outside of that third quarter. Dennis Schroeder finishes the game with 23 points, 9 of 16 from the field, 3 of 7 from the three-point line, five rebounds, four assists. And let's let's dive right into that fourth quarter, shall we? Over the final seven minutes of the fourth quarter, the Thunder outscored the Rockets. Get this, 27 to 7. The Rockets led 180, 100 to 85 with just under seven minutes left. And remember, Chris Paul is on the bench. The 
NBA's leading scorer in clutch situations is on the bench, and the Thunder finished the game on a 27-7 run. Dennis Schroeder, Shea Gildas-Alexander with some timely defense and finishes at the rim. Just, in, it was just incredible. I mean, for the Rockets, this was about this was about the, the visual representation of watching the fat lady sing. And the reason why I say that is because the season hasn't gone as well as planned. I would say I would say for Rockets fans, for people prognosticating in the beginning of the season, and I was actually one of them. I thought the Rockets would be an excellent regular season team and win a ton of games. They're twenty six and sixteen right now, and just a game up in the win column of the Oklahoma City Thunder in the Western Conference with the Thunder at 25 and 19, three games back in the loss column to the Rockets. But the Thunder now have the tiebreaker over Houston. So if Houston keeps keeps this kind of topsy-turvy inconsistency, whether it be James Harden being inconsistent, Russell Westbrook being inconsistent, the team overall being inconsistent, if that's going to be the case and the Thunder and the Ro- and the Thunder's roster stays intact and they keep winning their fair share of games and look, Thunder fans the schedule is getting weaker and weaker as we get cl- um, closer and closer to the end here. I believe they have the ninth hardest. We have, I believe they have the ninth easiest schedule remaining. And even this week, there are a ton of winnable games. So it's not out of the realm of possibility the Thunder could steal the sixth seed. And if the Rockets with Russell Westbrook and James Harden are going to fall to the sixth seed, the seventh seed, I mean, even the fifth seed would be seen as a disappointing failure of a regular season. It could all change in the postseason, of course, but. I think Thunder fans are comfortable enough now to to correctly define what Russell Westbrook can do in the postseason as the guy. But even though this is James Harden's team, he's not the guy. But we all know what James Harden can do in the postseason as the guy on a team. Not that much hope moving forward for Houston. So it's going to be interesting to see if they do any if there's any panic moves in the next 48 hours after this disappointing loss at home. If there's anything done at the trade deadline as we get closer to that, I- I'm interested to see that. But from the Thunder side, they just keep doing what they've been doing, coming back and winning games that they have no business winning. Now, it's going to be interesting to see the status of both Nerlens Noel and Steven Adams especially because they did not look pretty uh, with Steve. I mean, the the play itself didn't look pretty. And then his wrist and his hand shaking as he was walking off the floor was a little – was. More than a little concerning. And if you're super uber conspiracy theory trade trade deadline Thunder fan, the Thunder do take on the Atlanta Hawks on Friday. And the Atlanta Hawks have been widely reported as being very, very interested in the potential for trading for Steven Adams. Now, I don't know what the Hawks would do in order to entice Sam Presti to give up Steven Adams. Because... I mean, I've said before, I mean, it feel, I feel like everybody except for Shea Gillis-Alexander is tradable on this team, and that includes Steven Adams. But if you're going to give up Steven Adams and you're Sam Presti, I would assume that you would want a lot in return. And I don't know if the Hawks are willing to part with John Collins. But if Steven Adams is going to be hurt for a little bit of time here, because like I said, it was concerning the play and then him walking off the floor, do teams now become a little bit more hesitant that we're, that we're willing to trade for him? But again, that could be jumping the gun. I have no idea. We're still a few weeks away from the trade deadline, and Steven may not be hurt at all. So, But it's just something to look forward to. Terrence Ferguson, of course, is still, still remains out. Interested to see with him. Abdul Nader is still in the walking boot. So I don't really anticipate seeing him anytime soon. But uh, if you followed this podcast, you know my uh, injury history with predicting players coming back from injury, and it's not very good. Quick thing before we get out of here, everybody. Uh, Justin Patton was recalled by the Oklahoma City Blue. 
a few hours before the game. Unfortunately for the Thunder, they could have very well used him in last in last night's game. So I'll I'll be interested to see that if Justin Patton is actually recalled because of Stephen Adams' injury and maybe because of Nerlens Noel's ankle roll, whatever happened to him late in the game. But some other little minor observations from this game. Darius Baisley, Hamadou Diallo, I thought played well in their limited time. I mean, Darius only played just under 19 minutes. Hamadou Diallo, 13 minutes. Uh, Hami was 3 of 6 from the field, 0 for 1 from the three-point line, 6 points. Uh, Darius Baisley, 3 of 5 from the field, finished with 6 points and 5 rebounds. Uh, the thing with Hami, his one three-pointer, and look, I know I'm looking too much into this, but I'm really trying to pinpoint some things that I feel are obvious flaws, and, and everybody knows with Hamadou Diallo is going to be the shot, uh, the shot-making ability. He shot a 3 from the corner. It looks very comfortable. The hitch is still there. I don't know if the hitch is ever going to go away, but it looked comfortable. It was in motion. It was fluid. It was. It looked better. Let's just say this. It looked better than any shot Andre Robertson has ever taken. So while the hitch may never leave, I'm not. Cons- I'm not 100% convinced that Hamadou Diallo's shot is dead and will never be able to become effective like Andre Robertson's. Um, it's there. I see potential there. I just want to see more opportunities for Hamadou Diallo. And with Darius, a good little showing off the bench. I mean, six points is nothing to write home about. But again, th- this winning culture that the Thunder are playing in, as I was listening to the radio today, I was listening to 107.7 The Franchise and Colby Daniels and Sam Mays, Aaron Davis on the Triple M Ranch from 3 to 6 that you can listen to Monday through Friday. They were talking about the stat that Fred Katz had put out from The Athletic a few weeks ago about how the Thunder are the only team in the NBA that projects to win uh, anywhere in the 40s. I believe they're projected to win 42 or 43 games right now. Everybody else is projected to win 50 or more games or 38 or less. And Sam and Colby kind of laughed and agreed that, yeah, that's, it's, that's the worst place to be is in the middle of the road. You don't want to be a middle-of-the-road team. I'll agree with that. If the Thunder were a roster of a bunch of veterans and journeymen and G-leaguers with no hope, that is true. You don't want to be that team. The Indiana Pacers were that team for a long time before they got Victor Oladipo, uh, before they got Paul George. In between the Reggie Miller, from the time Reggie Miller retired until about Paul George took off, they were that type of team. And it could it entertains your fans in the short term, but there's nothing to really get hopeful about. The Thunder aren't that type of team. That's not how they're constructed. Do they have some vets on their team? Of course. Do they have some j- journeymen on their team? Of course. But the the foundational core of this team in the short term is your three-guard lineup with, with Danilo Gallinari and Steven Adams. And then you dig a little deeper. This team has great young talent, and it's not just SGA. You can throw, like you throw Darius Baisley and Hamadou Diallo, and now even Lou Dort's name into that mix, and that might be jumping the gun a little bit for Lou Dort, but basically what why I think that this is actually a good spot for the Thunder that they keep winning is you should have known from the moment that Chris Paul was traded to the Thunder and he wasn't immediately traded to the Miami Heat, and it looks like with each passing hour that, oh, I guess he's probably going to be here for a little bit of time. You're obviously too talented with Chris Paul to be bad. So any thoughts about getting like an R.J. Hunter type low in the lottery? That that should have just not been a realistic viewpoint. You're not you're not going to get high in the you're not going to get low in the lottery with Chris Paul on your team. Okay, so what's the next best deal? Obviously, then you need to win games. And why is that important? Because Shea is learning how to win games like this right now. Darius Baisley is learning how to win games like this right now. Hamadou Diallo, Lou Dort, 
they're learning how to win crunch time games against big time opponents on the road in the NBA. Are you going to sit there and try and tell me that that's not important, that that's not going to help these guys two, three years down the road when it's their team and it's not Chris Paul's team, when they don't have an aged mentor to like show them the way? You're going to sit here and tell me that none of this is important. None of this is going to matter two or three years down the road when they're in the postseason in some hard-fought series. I, I, I'm sorry, but I, I just will never agree with that. I think, I think winning is always an important thing. And while the Thunder aren't going to be long for this world, probably in the postseason, if unless they can somehow miraculously climb in the standings and get a better draw, and they're not going to get from their own draft pick, mind you, they're not going to get the next great LeBron James type player in in the draft. There's still a lot of good that you can take out of this season outside of just the short-term luxury of, I like watching my team win. I like watching my team beat the Houston Rockets. Like, a lot of things that are happening right now with this, with this team this season.